This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Show. Show. 313. 313. Are you taking yeah. on my show again? Are you taking my show again? Come on. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take my show. Let's do this. All of us, all seven billion humans on the planet want the same thing. They want to feel good. You want to feel good. And I do things that try to make me feel good. That has to do with my health, what I eat, working out, my relationships, what I think about, learning, growing, crying, all that stuff. I try to do it all. In the next five years, I just want to continue doing that. I don't really care about what I'm known for. I just want to feel that way. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co host, Mr. I Was Once a Host. Brandon Turner. <laughs> What's funny is we both started this. We started recording and we both looked at each other like, wait, who's going to do the this? Is, you know, anyway, we figured it out. You take it. You, you got uh, it. It's good to have you back today. What's up, man? I am. I'm super, super excited to be back, especially for today's show with a guest that I'm, I'm a, just an absolutely huge fan of. Uh, so it's great to be back. Great to see you. Unfortunately, Thank the beard you. continues to grow. Frightening <laughs> children everywhere. Uh, I you know. did trim this the other day. You know, it's uh, I got some new beard oil in the mail. Well, you know, for Christmas gift from Heather. You know, oh. she got it in oh. the mail and gave it to me. And, Heather, you know, it's, you're so yeah, sweet. It, it's actually John Cooper beard oil, which I just discovered. John Cooper is the lead singer of a band called Skillet, and he has beard oil. And nice. I like Skillet, so she got me his beard oil, which is – I think we should have Brandon Turner beard oil, and we'll sell it on Bigger we Pockets. This is a great have idea. All right. I'm co-founder. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> of, the, of the beardy Brandon beard oil. Beard oil. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yes. So for those of those who don't know, Josh here was the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast for five years. By the yes. way, we just crossed six years of the podcast officially. But anyway, you were here for five years, and now you come back for uh, you know occasionally, especially shows that you're excited about. Today's guest, actually, you introduced me to his books, and then I read them and I loved them. And you were like, "We should get Jesse on the show," and Absolutely. so we did. Absolutely, I am also founder of Bigger Pockets. Oh yeah, that's right. You also the founder of the world's greatest. Oh yeah, website. BiggerPockets.com. Yes. So the greatest know, brand. You've got a few things going for you entrepreneurial wise, you know. Boy, good job. Oh boy, man. Well, <laughs> it's it's definitely good to be back. Good to be here. And and I'm psyched and and it's good to see you. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. But before we get to today's show, let's get to today's quick tip. Quick tip. And today's quick tip is very short, simple, and sweet. Think of one person in your life who is an entrepreneur, who's trying to grow a business, trying to do something great, and send them a text message with this podcast. Every tech, every like podcast like service, or if you're watching this on YouTube, has the ability to like share the episode. So let's shoot it to one person right now, unless you're driving, do it when you stop. But this show is going to help so many people. Jesse, the guest today, is just real about entrepreneurship and probably the most successful entrepreneur we've ever had on the show, period. So you guys are going to love this. So this show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com host. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Take control of your investments and secure more passive income today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. All right. All right. All right. Let's get to this thing. So our guest today is Jesse Itzler. He's a serial entrepreneur, best-selling author of the two books, Living with a Seal and Living with the Monks, both fantastic. Josh and I love them. Uh, he's the co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks NBA team. He sold his company, Marquee Jet, to Berkshire Hathaway. He for uh, That I'm would sure. be Warren Buffett's company. Yeah, Warren Buffett's company. Yeah, there you he's go. also with a partner in Zico, which sold to Coca-Cola. That was like a coconut water. I think it was coconut water company. One of the original white rappers. Actually, go go to YouTube and not Google him or Google him because he won't appreciate it. But (laughs) go to YouTube and type in shake it like a white girl. You're going to see 1991. I think it is Jesse and one of the greatest videos ever made. Uh, He's also (laughs) married to a massively successful entrepreneur named Sarah Blakely. You might recognize her name. Uh, she's the founder of Spanx, which was, she started with like $5,000 in her like basement with no outside investors, grew it to a billion dollar company. She's also one of the guest sharks on Shark Tank. So uh, this show by the, is- By the way, by but, the way, he but, is also the guy who came up with the uh, Go New York, Go New York, Go jingle for the New York Knicks. And How's yes, I am sadly still a New York Knicks fan <laughs> after all these years, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's a pretty big deal. So this show is not about real estate today. I mean, I don't think we mentioned the word real estate. Yeah, I don't think we do actually. Anyway, but it's about entrepreneurship, success, happiness, mindset. What separates people that succeed from those who fail? I mean, we go through so many things today. You guys are going to love his stories. You're going to love all this stuff. I love things like his three-hour rule. It's fantastic. When he talks about how he slept in- yeah, happiness meter, how he slept in 18 different couches, like when he was trying to build his businesses. And he talks about how the average American only lives like 78 years and y'all are gonna love this show. And oh, one more thing, it's super important. There are some, we'll call them adult words used in this episode, some R-rated words. And uh, just a warning, we did not beep them out. 
So if you're listening with kids in the car, this might not be the best episode to play right now, but definitely listen to the episode when the kids aren't in the car. With that said, let's get to the interview with Jesse. All right. Welcome, Jesse, to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Good to have you here. Great to be here, fellas. Yeah, yeah. So, be here. So this should be this should be a lot of fun. I think people are going to love hearing your story. I mean, I just got finished reading both your books because I knew this was going to happen. Uh, fantastic. So, but most people don't maybe know who you are. So do you mind giving us like a two minute recap? Like, who are you? What do you do? How'd you get to where you are today? I know condensing 50 years into- No, that's fine. Totally fine. I'm happy to. Serial entrepreneur. I started out in the music business as a, believe it or not, as a rapper. Was signed to a company called Delicious Vinyl. And then I started, I shifted out of music into private aviation. I had a private jet company called Marquee Jet, which we sold to Warren Buffett's NetJet. Then I had a coconut water company I was involved with called Zico. We sold it to Coca-Cola. I married four kids, uh, author of a couple of books, ran 100 miles, endurance athlete, just trying to do as much as I can while I'm on this planet, man. So I'm I'm chipping away at my lifetime goal, which is leave nothing on the table. I love it. So, So through all of that, right, I mean, you've accomplished more than most people would die to accomplish in their lifetime. The one thing that stands out to me about you is the moment of happiness, at least in my interpretation of my studying of you, the moment of happiness is the day you made 41 bucks hanging out <laughs> with your buddy Myron and your sister. Can you tell us all about that and why Why is it? And and was that the moment of, of the most happiness in your life? Well, let me go to the end of the story first. No, it was just, um, it was a moment of appreciation and it set me on the course of being an entrepreneur. I realized from that moment that if I took a big risk, felt a lot of fear, overcame that fear and did something I loved, I could be rewarded. And that was became addicting to me. But it wasn't it wasn't a moment, I would say, of just happiness. I feel like super happy. I feel super lucky to have the opportunities that I have, the health. You know, there's an old quote, if you have health, you have hope. If you have hope, you have everything. I feel really fortunate to be where I am. And to have the parents that I had that gave me that opportunity to try things and experiment and have a long leash to you know pursue what I want to pursue. But the story you're talking about specifically, I was, I don't know, like 15 years old. I grew up in New York and Long Island and in the 80s and breakdancing was big. I got really into music, really into breakdancing. I know I don't look like it, but I was good and um, <laughs> not doing like the regular shit. I was doing advanced <laughs> shit. And I decided that like if I went to Washington, D.C., out and got outside of like New York, I could probably make a lot more money because there's no way the kids in DC were gonna be as good as the kids in New York, we invented the shit. So I convinced my sister who got a driver's license to drive my partner and I, Myron, who you mentioned, up to, to Washington DC. And the plan was boom box, find a parking lot, set up shop and rake it in. And the whole drive down, I was really scared. You know, I was like, start getting all the self doubt that I still have today, but as a 15 year old, I didn't understand how to really deal with it. And that was, well, what if the kids aren't as good as, are better than us? What if no one shows up? What if we're driving 10 hours round trip for no reason? And all those kind of questions and having a lot of doubt about the whole idea. But anyway, we get there, we set up shop, boom, put the boom box down in this parking lot in Georgetown, 14 years old, 15 years old. Myron is probably a year older than me, 16 years old. He starts spinning on his head. We get a crowd. The music is banging. He passes it to me. I'm doing my thing. The crowd's getting bigger. And I take off my hat. I pass it around, start collecting some money. And by the end of the day, we had collected a, a bunch of money. And after I gave my sister the gas money and we put aside money to eat dinner, we split $42, $41 each. 
and I gave it to Myron and, you know, he counted it up like a little kid, you know, counted it like 20 <laughs> times to make sure I didn't shortchange him. And when he realized that we both did in fact have $41 equally, <laughs> uh, no, he gave me a bear hug and he looked at me and he said, Jess, we're fucking rich. And I just remember <laughs> that moment and I felt really rich and I never had 41 of my own dollars really. And that the context of the story you're telling is about 20 years later, we built the world's largest private jet company in the world. We did $5 billion in sales and we sold it to, you know, I think what every entrepreneur wanted, would want to ultimately maybe for their legacy sell to Warren Buffett and NetJet, a Berkshire Hathaway company. And at that moment, I was asked about it. I didn't really feel much different than I felt that moment. I know it sounds like no way, bullshit, but it's true. <laughs> like it wasn't like my happiness. Yeah, it wasn't like all of a sudden everything in my life changed and everything was better. You know, I could just have a bigger plate of brown rice. Yeah. And a lot of stuff happened in between those points from when I was 14 or 15 years old up until that moment in my life. And I had so I had some exits before that, too. Uh, but a lot had happened, good and bad. But the happiness wasn't dictated. We all know money doesn't buy us happiness. You know, we all, it, of course, it buys us a lot of things. And sometimes you can become happier. But in my case, you know, I've always operated from a really big place of gratitude, really big place of gratitude. And I've always loved the journey. You know, I've been addicted to the process and the passion has been around the process. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So the re the reason happiness and one of the main reasons that, that we had you on is like, I'm fairly obsessed with the topic of happiness right now. As an entrepreneur myself, I went through a pretty horrible year last year. My daughter, who was nine at the time, got very sick, was pretty much, uh, she had a surgery. She ended up paralyzed from the neck down. Um, I had to step away from work. And over the course of time, you know, she was been able to recover. And it really made me think like, what is life about? And what is happiness? And I've spent my time studying happiness and trying to figure out what it is. And I, that, that's kind of how I came across you and your book, Living with a Seal, which we'll talk about because I'm into exercise and running and health stuff now. But I, I, I do want to transition a little bit on happiness. In your TEDx talk, you, you talked about this thing called the happiness meter. And I loved how you talked about how we can evaluate our own personal happiness. And you talk about taking the different buckets in your life and evaluating them. Do you mind running through that really quickly with people? Because I think it's really worthwhile. Sure. Again, I think that you know, in most areas of our lives, there's a way to measure almost everything. We get on a scale to measure our weight. We have tax returns to measure financial statements to measure our wealth. We have an IQ test to measure our intelligence but there's really no test on happiness. And I was just thinking like, well, why? What's an easy way to kind of rate where you're at at any given point? And more importantly, to identify what's making you unhappy. Because if we could fix what makes us unhappy, we would all be so much happier, right? Some of that's not fixable, but a lot of that we own and we can fix. So I did this at a, at a talk. I was doing a big talk for a bunch of Wall Street guys, uber successful audience, uber wealthy. So you would think if you equated money to happiness, everyone would be super happy. And I just said, look, I did a very simple test. I said, you know, the topic came up in Q&A and I said, let's just try this. Everybody think about everything that's going on in your life. Think about all the buckets of your life, your weight, your health, your relationships, your finances, your job, where you live, the city you live in, your parents are getting older, your daughter's situation, whatever's going on, put it all in a giant blender. 
okay? And, and mix it up. And then on a scale of one to 10 with the Dalai Lama, a 10 being the Dalai Lama of happiness and a one being someone that's at rock bottom, what's your number? And the majority of the room, I would say probably 90% of the room was a seven, seven, I'd say seven-ish, maybe a little bit lower, but seven. And proud of it. You know, I'm seven out of 10. And I was like, amazing. But if my son comes home with a 70, a seven out of 10 on a test, that's like a C minus, Yeah. you know, in the most important bucket of your life. So most people think they're like, okay, I'm doing pretty good. But like, well, that's a C minus. But what's amazing about that test is your brain immediately when you do that exercise goes to a 10. It wants you to be a 10. So it goes to a 10 and boom, the two or three biggest things that make you unhappy appear in your head and, and take you down to a nine, eight, seven, six, whatever it is. So if you do the test at home and you're like, okay, I'm an eight, it's so clear because you're like, it's my weight, it's my relationship, or whatever the two things are that just popped in that got you to that number. So it's like the simplest method to identify, not just like where you're at on a one to 10, but more importantly, what's broken. Like if yeah. you go into if you go into 2019 and just said what say to yourself what's one thing I want to fix in my life to make my life better you'll come out of 2019 way better off yeah. one thing like what's the one thing okay I want to I have to communicate more with my wife I want to get aligned on how we parent I want to you know double my ink whatever it is if you fix that one thing that's totally messed up you're going to be so much you know so much happier it's awesome I love that. Hey, can, can I get personal for a minute? Can I ask, what, where do you see yourself uh, on a scale of one to 10, your happiness? What's your number? I'm really, I'm really fortunate, man. I feel really, really, most of the time, I'm, I'm very, very happy. Awesome. I have two parents that are alive. I mean, knock on wood on everything, healthy kids. You know, I'm, I'm capable. Not everything goes right. I get a lot of egg on my face. I take challenges. I fail. I have, you know, things that bother me, people that turn on me, people that love me. I have everything that everybody has, but I process it really well. And I process it and come out, I net out in a very good place to be, to be totally honest. I feel very lucky about that. That's great. Let me shift the question slightly. Then what are you working on this year? Like what, what fires you up? What's that next level you're trying to get to? I mean, if I'm assuming there's always room for growth, right? So Yeah. So my life is all about building my own personal life resume. I don't believe in resumes in the traditional sense. I believe in like, what's your body of work, building your body of work and and maximizing the opportunity. I do not want to be 70 or 80 years old, look back on my life and be like, man, I live the 80% version of me. I want to see what the hundred or 90 or 110%. So this year I just turned 50 big birthday for me. I have a monster year plan. I'm doing a documentary. I'm writing another book. I'm launching a business that I think could save 10 billion gallons of drinkable water. I have a coaching course. I do 50 speaking events a year and I spend 50% over 40 hours a week with my kids and my family. That is a really, that's a, and I have a lot of other projects and support. I'm taking care of my parents. I mean, a lot of stuff is going on. Um, It's a big year for me. And every year is a big year for me. And, you know, the way that I do that, the way that I approach that is I have a system. I have an optimization system that I use. It's really efficient. And I get everything out of my head. It lives on a piece of paper to create space and energy in my head. I fucking attack it, man, like a wild man. And that's how I do it. It's awesome. 
That's awesome. So part of part of that is this big giant big ass calendar that you walk around with, right? It's right here. Yeah. Yeah, we got to see it. Hold on, to get it. I didn't know you guys gonna hold on, hold on. Yeah, man. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Here it is. I mean, if you're listening and you're not watching this on YouTube, jump on our YouTube channel Here and check it, it out. Bam. Yeah, it never it never leaves far from me. It's but in this the airport. Everywhere you go, right? Everywhere I go. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm visual and I'm old school. I need to see it. I can't operate on a computer. Writing it down. I went through every month. I wrote down every day what's going on. My whole year is plotted out. And it shows a tremendous amount of, t- of intent. Someone said to me, do you want me to digitize it for you? And put it in. And I was like, digitize it? Ah. I want to <laughs> own it. I want to spend four days writing it down in my calendar yeah. so I complete it. I don't want to hit send. Yeah. So how do you, uh, so one of the biggest things that, that we tend to find that I tend to find when I talk to people is they, they bitch and they moan, they complain. They're like, you know, I'm, I'm building a business. I'm doing this. And you know, I was guilty of it. I I worked hundred hour weeks for eight years. I didn't take a day off. It was the worst thing I ever could have done. And I didn't have any balance with my life. I had no balance. I didn't spend time with my wife that I wanted to spend. I didn't spend time with my kids that I wanted to spend, but you're doing more in one year than most people do in 10. So how do you balance that time with your kids, with your family and accomplish all the things that you want to accomplish? I have a very, very simple rule that anyone can do. Most people listening will probably say that's impossible or you have a team of nannies or you can, but I don't, I don't. The answer is I take three hours a day for myself and I call it the three hour rule and it's cumulative. So that might be, I'm going to go for a run in the morning for an hour, take 20 minutes to read later in the day. Before I go to bed, I'll take a 30 minute walk or just sit and do nothing, whatever. But when I'm in my time, I'm not guilty that I'm not with my kids. I'm not guilty that I'm not with my wife. And when I'm with them, because I was able to do what I wanted to do during the day, I'm fully present. So I'm, I'm where my feet are because if my, I don't want to resent my wife or my boss or anyone for taking away the things I love to do. I'd be a terrible parent. I'd be a terrible employee or boss. So I know if I get my run in, I can journal, I read, I do my things. Then my wife wants to go sit in an opera for two hours, even though I hate the opera, I'm good because I was allowed to do the things that were important to me. That made me happy. Take that away from me and I'm miserable. Yeah. So like if you can't take 10% of the day, 10% of your own day, your own precious time, the one thing we all have, the same 24 hours in a day, if I can't carve out two or three hours cumulatively to take care of the stuff that I love to do that makes my day bright and, you know, energized and fulfilled, then my life is completely out of whack and I feel like I would have to really reevaluate what I'm doing. So that's what I've been doing. I've been doing it forever. I didn't realize I was doing it. It was unintentional, but I've always been, I've always done it. And it makes me a way better parent and boss, friend, son, because again, I've been able to, to do some of the things that I wanted to do during the day that are important to me. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask, do you like, you talk a lot about being present and you, you obviously love your family. And you're very, very involved with them. Do you have any like tips, tricks, hacks, whatever thing? I mean, the three hour rule is awesome. It's like anything else you can help our audience. I mean, there's people listening going, I don't spend enough time with my kids. When I am with my kids, I'm on my phone. I'm always scrolling Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Like that's a, a major problem today, especially in America. Do you have anything that you can advise you give people on like how they can be more present in the lives of their family? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of hacks. There's a lot of, I mean, uh, I'm not an expert in this, but I'll just tell you what works for me. For one, I only take calls twice a week. So you, the old me, let me back up, let me back up. I have a new system because I operated the same way as single Jesse for 40 years and it worked. But now I have four kids and a wife and I can't operate on that same system. Like I want to go out and watch a football game or play basketball. I can't do that anymore. So I had to rip up the playbook, rip up my system and create a new system, right? Like your system, as you evolve, your system evolves. So if anybody's listening, your system changes as you change. As your daughter got went through her thing, your, your system changed. Absolutely. You spend, right? You had to spend more time. You had to reevaluate your priorities and all that kind of stuff. So one of the things that I realized is I want to do four times as much as anybody else this year. I want to 4X. The average American lives to be 78 years old. I'm 50. If I'm average, I got 27 summers left. Okay. I want to do this much. If you're watching on YouTube, it's this much. My time is this much. It doesn't work. So either I have to get more time, stay healthy, extend my life, whatever, or I have to be mega efficient and operate at 4X speed to get it all in what I want to do, right? So so I had to change the system. So the first thing I did is I had to create efficiencies. So rather than taking calls all over the day, all at every time of the day and interrupting time with my family, I got, oh, gotta leave guys, I gotta be done at one o'clock, I gotta call. I said, I'm only taking calls in these time slots. If that doesn't, like I'm taking control of my life. Now, I'm an entrepreneur. I work for myself. I recognize people have other nine to five jobs. They work for people. So everyone's system is different, but I would change my system. But this works based on where I am in my life. So just by doing that, I I know that that's my call time. I don't have to worry about, I have no calls after, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. So that's one thing that became very efficient to me to, to, and I do a lot of things like that. I do a lot of things that maximize my time and, and my efficiencies. That's one of them. I make sure that I schedule one-on-one trips with my kids every year. I make sure that I uh, have a thing called Kevin's rule. Once every two months, I take a weekend away or, or do something that I would do that I wouldn't normally do if I didn't schedule it. So that guarantees that I'll have five experiences, new experiences this year, which means if I live another 30 years, it's 150 experiences that I now have that I wouldn't have had. So I think the bottom line is this. As you get older, we live in routine. As you get older, it becomes really hard to create newness. You have to, you're young, you're in your thirties, man. So it's different. But when you get, when you get wait 20 years, when life is a part of routine, maybe not in Hawaii, but you know, (laughs) when that happens, it's hard to create newness. You have to work on it. Honestly, otherwise you work, you live in routine. You end up, you're seven years old and you're like, what the fuck happened, man? I've been doing the same stuff for 20 years. So I work really hard at creating newness, really hard at it. I schedule it. I think about it. And uh, I take it really serious. I'm not yeah. saying that like we're on a podcast and let me give some sound bites. I'm not selling anything. I mean, that's how I live my life. And it's important to me. If it's not important to you, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. And, and I fully believe this. <laughs> I, I, I look at my I'll, calendar. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Hey, so uh, a couple, a couple of quick things. One really quickly, what the name Kevin's rule, why is it Kevin's rule? I have a friend of mine who's a police officer, Kevin the cop. Yeah. He's, in, he's in my book. And yeah. uh, I went 
on a trip last year with my son who was eight and his daughter who was eight. And we camped out uh, at Mount Washington. Mount Washington at, is one of the, it's, it's, they, it's coined the world's worst weather oh, yeah. in the winter. And it was minus, I think 20 degrees. We were in a sleeping bag that protects you up to minus 40, sleeping outside in the snow. My son, his daughter, me, myself, Kevin the cop. And I was like, man, this is unbelievable. This is a lifetime, this is one of the moments that I was talking about. And I said to Kevin, how often do you do this? Like, this is unreal. This is the best weekend. I'll never forget this. How often do you have moments like this? He goes, oh, well, and I'm talking about a guy, blue collar, man, blue collar, officer, canine unit, Suffolk County, one of the happiest guys I know. He goes, every year I go, since I've graduated college, I go on a trip with my college friends. I'm like, oh my God, I, I barely ever see my college friends. I mean, so by the way, tomorrow, I'm taking my college friends to the Bahamas. Nice. That was the first thing that I changed. Um, I'm like, well, I could do that. I've done that. Then he said, and every other month, I take one weekend where I set up a trip where I wouldn't have taken. And it could be anything. It could be I'm going fishing on the pier in the city. I'm going to a museum. I'm going to run a marathon. It doesn't have to be like I'm traveling the world <laughs> to, go, to go see Italy. But I do something that I wouldn't have done instead of watching a college football game. I go and I create something that I would have done. I'm like, I could do that too. Yeah. And so when I came home, I'm like, I'm going to implement Kevin's rule. Kevin's rule is I'm going to go on five or six weekends a year, friends, family, whatever. And that's what it is. Which awesome. by the way, in my calendar, it's the first thing that I marked up. I said, what oh. are the five things I want to do? Then I went to the weekends, I circled them and I said, okay, there's 52 weekends. These five are carved out for this stuff with my family, friends, et cetera. I'm taking one of them tomorrow. That's cool. That's great. And if you don't do that, you're, you're never going to get to it because everything else is going to push it away. So I love yeah. that. Never yeah. happened. Josh and jo Josh here, Josh and I were uh, in, a, I don't know, Uber, I don't know, a year ago, whatever. We had this really, really great conversation. One of the best conversations I've ever had. And it was on that, like when you're a kid or when you're in college, amazing memories and times just happen naturally, right? The younger you are, the more natural those amazing things happen. You know, like you grab some buddies and you go out and stay out till four in the morning and you still remember that 20 years later. The older you get, the less, it's like you were saying a minute ago, like you get in the routine, the less those moments happen. So what, what I love about what you're saying is like, just what we were thinking, you have to create, you have to like create those moments because they won't create themselves very often. It just doesn't happen, but most people don't take time to create those moments. So I love that you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, there's only really two kinds of moments. There's the ones that are memories. There's ones that happen that you have no control over. You'll remember 9-11 forever where you were 9-11, yeah. but you had no control over it. And then there are the ones that you create, you know, the ones that you schedule and you create. And yeah, those yeah. are the ones you do have control over. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Fantastic. So, So when you talk about changing how you do things with your time blocks, you know, Living with a Monk, which was uh, your second book, right? That book, you went off on this adventure. You, you told your assistant you wanted to go live with some monks and had her set it up and plan it. And you went off and I'm not going to ruin it and spoil it for everybody, but you ended up living with some monks uh, out in New York. And it was awesome. At least uh, my read of it was. But there were all these lessons that you took away from it. And I think you know, a few of the ones that stood out to me were the the amount of hours that you've got in your life and time is ticking. You already talked about that. You've only got supposedly 27 years left. I'm sure you're going to be around a lot longer than that. The other was monotasking. That definitely stood out to me. But, you know, being away from your phone, you know, it's in, it's in the 
it's in the book title, you know, what turning off my phone taught me about happiness. Did that play a role for you in, in changing your scheduling of how you communicate with people? Because I think a lot of people would say, how the hell could I do that? How could I go without my damn cell phone and chatting with people and, and being on Insta and everything else all the time? Yeah. Well, I'm still on email. I am still on email, but I've made it a, a note or a goal to be off email in the next 30 days. What does that mean off email? Well, I have an assistant and, and unless it's an emergency, I really don't want to see it. You know, now I don't know how realistic that is, and but maybe it'll cut it down to 80%. But a lot of my emails are insignificant. I was just with my grand, my wife's grandmother, who's turning 97. I went to visit her and I'm sitting in where she's sitting in this facility now. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, I wonder if she's thinking about her emails from four or five years ago. Like, I mean, I know it's not going to mean anything to me, what I'm worried about or thinking about today. Of course, it doesn't mean you can't, yeah, you can ignore it. You can't ignore it. It's part of your real life, but a lot of it is meaningless. And that's not going to really, it's just, it's just not where I'm at today in my life. So I'm trying to avoid that, minimize that and create a system where I could literally live off of it. And I remember uh, about five years ago, I was with the owner of the Baltimore Ravens and he was telling me that he doesn't get any emails. He has the people that need him have his text. And if they need him, they text him and his assistant handles everything else. And I'm trying to build a, a process where my assistant knows me good enough that she can respond to everything and handle it unless it's an emergency and need me. She can answer for me. And that, that's, that's that. Now, again, I'm at a different place in my life than I was 10 years ago. But for changing the process, changing the system to where you are, you always evolve. That's something that's important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's great. You know, when I was in high school, one of my close friends said one of the most profound things that I've ever heard. And it's, it's always stuck with me. And he talks about, you know, looking at your life as if you're doing so from your deathbed. And so most people don't take the time to think about anything ever, you know? So the first thing you got to do is stop and think, right? Take, take moments, take an hour, take a half hour, think, go on a walk, do something. Once you're doing that, one of the things that I like to do is say, if I'm looking back at my life from my deathbed, who's around me? It's my wife. It's my kids. You know, hopefully, you know, some other family, maybe my closest friends. Those are the ones that I'll matter. Be uh, you'll be haunting me <laughs> with that beard down to your toes. Um, so those are the people that are around you that really matter at the end of the day. Those are the ones that count. And so yeah. go ahead and live your life in a way where you're supportive of those people. You're there for those people. Everyone else, be nice to, be kind to, do, you know, be a good person. But like, those are the ones that matter. How do you build a life centric with those people in mind and yourself in mind? And that's always stuck with me and it's always helped me drive me forward um, and help me ignore a lot of the bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I think for most people, it takes, when people have tremendous change for the better in their life, it usually comes after something tragic, a death, an illness, a revelation, a drug addiction, something happens that causes this tremendous change. And I never felt like I needed that to evolve or, or to change. And uh, most people, humans are like a book. They're, they live their life, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the beginning chapter, we reflect on. We'll go back and reflect on it, but it's done. The middle section, that's where we are now. All three of us in our journeys, we're in the middle section. That's real time. It preoccupies us. That's where our worry lives, etc. Very few of us give, we're never going to die. You don't think about like you're going to die. Like you're like 30, 
two years old, man. You think you're going to live forever and you got a long <laughs> road ahead of you and I hope you do or this and that. I mean, I'm sure that neither of you two guys have picked out uh, your grave site or your plot or planned your funeral. Like I bet nobody listening here has done it because we don't think about it. We don't want to think about the end of our life. We live forever. It's not happening. It's so far away. But it's not, man. It's not. It's like we live here like poof, poof. Yeah. So like I, I'm aware of that. That's my driver. Yeah. I'm here for a short window, man. I'm aware of my own mortality. My relationship with time is a special relationship. And that's my driver. And when you talked about earlier, like, what do you want to do this year? I want to do everything this year. And I mean, I, like, I'm almost, I, I'm almost operating in a manic place where it's just like, I want to do so much because I have so much appreciation for the opportunity that I want to like every day. It's like, come on, man, what can we do? What can we do? And uh, I don't know if it's good or bad, but um, I'm aware because, you know, you guys laughed about, well, 78 and this and that, and maybe, you know, hopefully, no, hopefully I have more, maybe I have less, but let me just say this. When I was on Mount Washington with my kids, with my son and Kevin and his daughter, I didn't see any 70 year olds up there. When I was walking up there, I didn't see any seven, I didn't see any 65 year olds. Like that window to do the stuff that we're all physically able to do and love to do, it shrinks, man, and it goes so damn fast. So I'm I'm playing for now, not playing for 80, 90, I'm playing for now, the opportunity that's in front of me right now. I love it, I love it. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? 
Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here we are at the after the new year, and there's all these topics about goal setting and all that. And one of the blogs I or blog posts I read the other day talked about a good way to set a goal to figure out what you want to do is ask the question, what do you want to be known for in five years? I'm curious, Jesse, what do you want to be known for? Like maybe five years, 10 years, even when you die? Like what's your I want to be known for this? I don't really think like that. I think there's so many buckets and so many ways to answer that. How I want to be looked at for my kids is different from the world. I mean, like I said, I'm working on a really big project right now where I think I've had the potential to save a tremendous amount of drinking water that's being wasted. And that's something that I think would be an amazing legacy to leave behind and be like, you know, what did I do? I saved 10 billion gallons of water and distributed them to, to people in the States in need of clean water. That would be like amazing. So that's been a big part of my shift and focus. I have an online teaching course that, that I love. And if anyone benefits from it, that makes me feel really good. So I think we all want the same thing. And you talked about it earlier on, you know, becoming like a happiness guru is really important to you. But at the end of the day, I think everybody listening wants the same thing. All of us, all 7 billion humans on the planet want the same thing. They want to feel good. Yeah. You want to feel good. And I do things that try to make me feel good. That has to do with my health, what I eat, working out, my relationships, what I think about, learning, growing, crying, all that stuff. I try to do it all. In the next five years, I just want to continue doing that. I don't really care about what I'm known for. I just want to feel that way. Mm, That's great. That's great. I I want to read something. You, you know read. what? You know what Jesse Seal says? No, I'm not cool. I'm sick of this shit. Seal pounds his fist on the bed. You're too pretty, man. Too cute. Fuck you. What? Go grab a chair, the most uncomfortable chair you can find. 
I have no idea what he's talking about, but I go and get a wooden chair, one with no armrests, out of my home office and return to his room. This, this is perfect, Seal says. Sit down. I sit in the chair. Now go grab a fucking blanket, he says. Wait, what? He doesn't really think I'm going to sleep in a, in a chair. You got to get out of your comfort zone, Jesse, he says. Enough of this comfy shit. Fuck this Park Avenue bullshit. He repeats himself under his breath. Fucking Park Avenue bullshit. But we live in Central Park West. <laughs> this book, I have spent, when I read this book, I've laughed harder than I've ever laughed reading a book. My wife, I would wake up my wife in the middle of the night while I'm reading the book. And she's like, what? Okay, read it to me. Read it to me. And we enjoyed it so thoroughly. Thank you. What? What inspired you? It's So the book is Living with a Seal, 31 Days Training with the Toughest Man on the Planet. What inspired this book? Tell us the story. First of all, you're bringing back good memories or bad memories. I, I, loved, <laughs> I loved writing it. So as I hear you reading it, it's, uh, I, I just remember laughing at that particular part, a lot of parts. So I, I, I didn't set out to write the book. I met this guy at a race. I was really inspired by his drive. He had struggled at the race. He had broken some bones. He was peeing blood. He weighed, he weighed a lot. And it was an a ultra marathon that I was running. He was running. And um, I decided I wanted to meet him. I could learn from someone like that. And I went out to lunch with him and, and realized, like, I'm never going to kind of get the secret sauce that this guy has. He was a Navy SEAL. And I asked him if he would come, come live with myself and my family. And he, he said yes, and he moved in, you know, shortly after, like right, <laughs> like right away. And five years later, I wrote the book. So I didn't, it wasn't, there was no like, oh, I'm going to go live with the Navy SEAL and write about it. It was, I love the experience. I learned from it. We became friends for years. I decided someone approached me to write a, a memoir, a book about really a business book about my journey at Marquee Jet and some of the other stuff that I had done. And as I started to write it, I realized, you know what, this, I do want to write a memoir, but this would be an amazing way to do it. And that's what happened. What, you know, what I loved was, there's a lot of things I took away from the book. I, I think relevant, most relevant to our audience. You saw this guy, you were fascinated by him. You asked somebody who he was, you called him out of the blue, you know, you flew out and met, met the guy, you know, flew across the country to sit down and talk with the guy. And, and he was, at least in my read, he was pretty abrasive at first, you know, didn't, didn't want anything to do with you kind of thing. And you flew out there, invite him to come live with you. And, you know, you made all this happen. Now, most people, you know, our audience is most, mostly aspiring or active real estate investors. And a lot of people are scared to pick up the phone and call somebody who's got a house on the market or somebody who might have a house on the market. But you had the balls to go out and fly across the country to a dude who didn't really want to talk to you on the phone. How does somebody get on the phone with somebody? How do you overcome that fear to chat with people, to talk to people, to reach out to people that you aspire to meet and connect with and overcome that fear? What do you do? Uh, I think it's just like going into a, a really cold ocean of, of water, pool of water. It's you just go. If you start talking yourself out of it, I think you'll come up with a million reasons why you shouldn't. So I've always just been like, give me the phone, give me the phone. Uh, not preparing a speech or thinking about it. I've always just kind of, let me get my foot in the door and figure it out later. I didn't go to California, San Diego to sit with uh, the SEAL and um, with a plan of, you know, we're going to live together and write a book. 
that just, I got my foot in the door and one thing led to another and, and then we had a bestseller. So that's one thing. The second thing is it's just like anything that involves the fear of, of embarrassment or any kind of fear. It's one of the tools that I use and I have several is that it goes back to my own mortality. Like nobody on this planet is going to be around in a hundred years from now. Very few of us. So do I really care if someone doesn't, if I'm in the real estate game and I, I, like what happens on a phone call? I mean, come on, let, let me give you an example. I was in the music business for, for years. And one part of my journey in the music business is I was writing theme songs for professional sports teams. And I wrote a song for the Denver Broncos uh, called Salute in 1997. And every time they sort of scored a touchdown, the Broncos would salute into their, it was a big deal. It was all over. It was like this, the first trend in like Super Bowl celebrations. I wrote a song about it, caught on, it was huge. The Broncos win the Super Bowl. I'm in Vegas. They call me up and they said, would you like to perform the song at the parade tomorrow in Denver? So I said, absolutely. I said, how many people are gonna be there? 685,000 people, bigger than, <laughs> bigger than Live Aid, 685, thousand people. I'm like 20, Colorado. right. So I'm, I'm 20 something years old. I fly from Vegas immediately to my apartment in New York because no one could get in and FedEx the instrumental that I needed in time to get to Denver, get the instrumental. Don't even change, get on the plane, fly out to Denver with my partner that we're going to sing this song. We get out there, 685 people. I'm sitting backstage about to go on and they hand me the microphone. And I'm shaking. I'm shaking. I can, I'm so nervous. I can barely hold the microphone. And my friend says to me, are you okay? I said, no, I said, I can't go on. He goes, why can't you go on? I go, I just peed all over my, all over my leg. <laughs> he goes, are you serious? And he looks down, he goes, holy shit. And they go, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from New York City, please welcome. And they throw us on stage. So I go on, I'm like stained leg. I'm like, the mic is shaking. I start singing the words, I'm rocking it. Places blowing up, everyone's saluting. It's going unbelievable, best moment of my life. And I forget all the words. <laughs> I forget all the words. And about three days ago, I'm going through old videos and I see the video and I'm like, oh my God, and I have it, I have it on tape. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show it to my assistant. And I'm showing my assistant and I said, you know what the lesson is from this story? Cause I was thinking about maybe telling this, sharing this with a, a corporation I was going to speak at. I said, you know what the lesson is? The lesson isn't preparation. Everybody knows you have to be prepared and I wasn't prepared. The lesson isn't like life throws you curves and you have to deal with it. Everybody knows that. You got dealt a very severe cur curve, unfortunately, with your daughter. And we've all, we've all had that and, and you got to deal with it. Everybody knows that. The lesson was after 20, what was it, 77, 87, 97, 97, 107, 22 years. Got a 980 on my SATs, that's how I have to count. <laughs> after, after 22 years, I didn't remember the story. The lesson was nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody's talking about it now. It's over. What's oh, the worst thing? <laughs> yeah. What's the worst, what's the worst thing that happens if you pick up the phone and call somebody? Yeah. And that was the lesson from this. I failed in front of 685,000 people and no one's talking about it anymore. Who gives a shit? Everybody went on, they had to worry about their taxes, their family, their kids, you know, uh, having anxiety and all the other stuff that we all deal with. And that this is just a moment and no one even really even knew. And that's the powerful lesson. So now I can't call up somebody on the phone. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. Nothing's gonna happen if you don't. There you go. Yeah.
That's good. So let me tie a related question in. Do you have other advice or advice for entrepreneurs? Most of our audience are people trying to build, you know, wealth, financial freedom, that kind of like a business or whatever. But people, I mean, I don't know, you know, the stats or you've all heard the stats about most businesses fail. So what, what have you done that's worked so well to grow multiple businesses that have all succeeded? No, not that everyone has succeeded, but the ones that have, what have you done? I think the common trait for me, similar to a lot of entrepreneurs was I took a chance. Not, first of all, not all of them failed. I've had plenty of egg on my face along the way. I think that I've always been the business plan. Like it's on the business plan. And what do you, what do you mean by that? I mean, like if I had to raise money or sell something, it was never the deck that I had or the PowerPoint presentation. It was my partner or myself that people were going to bet on and they had to buy into me. I think that people buy into stories more than products. People like, you know, if you have a good story or history, that's really important, even maybe more important than the product. Things take time. Early on, I thought like in today's world of Instagram, it's like, everything is, or or social media, it's like you think that everything happens overnight and there are get rich businesses and there are overnight success stories, but not a lot, not a lot. Most 99% of them are grinds, man. I slept on 18 couches between the ages of 19 to 22, 18 different friends put me up and housed me in my struggle to go from where I was to where I wanted to go. It takes support, it takes belief, it takes determination, it takes thick skin, and that's not for everybody. And anyone who thinks like anyone can just do it, no, you can't, man. Some people are better suited, you know, knowing they have a paycheck coming every week, and some people are adrenaline junkies, and they want the challenge, they want the risk, and they they like living on the edge, and that's more me, you know? That's not my brother. My brother likes to go and get a check and know that he's gonna, you know, Go home if I, you know, everyone has their own, their own lane. So, and I think it's important to understand that. It takes yeah. time, man. I remember when we went with Zico into the president of Coca-Cola's office and the president of Coca-Cola said, it will take eight years to build this brand. That's, you know, maybe now with social media, things are accelerated, but I would say it's probably five. I look at Lyft, like where Lyft is today, when they started five years, a lot of companies maybe could, but usually that's, that's, that's what it takes. It's not like six months and we're like rocking and rolling, man. So you have to have patience. And I think most importantly, as an entrepreneur, it's really important to understand that people talk about passion all the time, but I think passion is greatly misunderstood. I think the passion is not necessarily around your widget, whatever your widget is. The passion is around the process. Like you're an entrepreneur. That's what you signed up for. When all your friends are at happy hour, and you have to lick stamps and put them on the envelope and send out all this this stuff, that's what you signed up for. If your passion isn't built around the willingness to do that, whatever your end goal is, it's gonna be a real struggle because there's gonna be a lot of, of, should I go to happy hour or should I stay in the office? And if you always choose happy hour, someone else is gonna choose the office and they're gonna beat you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Let's talk about failure for a second. One of the things that stood out to me most in in the Monk book was a moment you talked about your wife, Sarah, was at at the dinner table and and her father was asking what what she failed at. And the the takeaway every every week, right? There's this this discussion about failure and the takeaway being failure becoming tied not uh, to not trying rather than the outcome. Can you dive in a little bit on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think my, my wife was very lucky. Her father emphasized, redefined failure as not trying versus the outcome. And every day he would ask, or every Friday, he would ask my wife and her brother, what'd you fail at this week? And my wife would be like, oh, we didn't try out for the, I didn't try out for the cheerleading. You know, I tried out for the cheerleading team and I didn't make it. And he would high five her. They're like, oh, you tried out, you didn't make it. That's amazing. And what he was doing was he was just deflecting taking the pressure off of the end result and focusing on the effort and yeah. redefining what failure really is. I so, think as a parent, that's, that's so important, huh? It's really important. I mean, as a parent, we like to praise the effort, not the result. Not like, oh man, you dominated. Not that my son dominates basketball games. He doesn't for sure. But, <laughs> but, not, but using as an example, like, you know, as a parent to say, oh, you dominated the game, man. You amazing, man. You played a great game. No. You worked really hard this week and I really showed all that effort really paid off. You know, I see what happens when you praise that part of the journey. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, I, we, we've talked so much about all these things in the past and, and happiness and, and hard work and, and opportunities. You know, one, one of the things that I, I'm most fascinated about in your life is, is the ultra marathoning, is the athleticism. You know, after all this stuff, went on with, with my daughter, I had one of those moments where I was with my, my middle daughter and, uh, she was riding on her bike and I started jogging with her and got to a point where, yeah, I was keeping up, but I was definitely a little winded and, and I stopped and I, I looked at my Apple watch and I'm like, Oh wait, is my heart supposed to be 185? That seems high. And I'm like, let me go home. I Googled it, 185, I'm 40 years old. Wait a second, that's not good. That's like instant heart attack mode. And I'm a skinny dude, right? I thought, you know, I'm skinny, I'm okay. And I had this realization that like, I'm in terrible shape. I'm in the worst shape of my life. Been running a company for 14 years. You know, I focused on that, my sole focus. I gotta, I gotta change before I drop dead. There's only 28, 470 days in our lives, right? So I started running, I started getting fit. I just did a 10K, my first race ever in October and been reading all these great books and just super motivated, but you're doing the big stuff. I mean, you're doing the ultras. You just did this, you started this thing, Everesting, which I'm fascinated by and want to try out. But what, what drives somebody to do not just like a race that's gonna, you know, drive you and push you, but you do the races that break you. What drives somebody to do that? I think everybody's different. I don't think there's a, a one size fits all answer to that. I think everybody has their own reasons for those kind of challenges. For me, I started out with the goal of running two miles. That was my goal. And uh, when I was able to accomplish that after a couple of weeks, two miles in under 18 minutes was my goal. I think everybody listening could probably, the majority of the pe- people listening could probably do that with a gun to their head. But after I did that, I signed up for my first race. I mean, it was a gradual progression for me. Ten, same as you, you know, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon. And then ultimately I decided I was going to try to run this 100 mile race 2006. And I gave myself 90 days to train for it. And I finished it 22 hours and 30 minutes and they put me in a wheelchair for four days. And of course, I was like, I'll never do anything like again. And by the way, I have not run 100 miles since then, but I am signing up for, for a race this year. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. But anyway, I think I that was the best moment for me of growth in my life. The discipline, the training. There's an old Japanese ritual called the Misogi. 
And the notion around the Masogi is you do something so hard one time a year that the benefit lasts the entire 364, other 364 days of the year. That was my Masogi. And, mm-hmm. and I found that it's lasted me a lifetime, not just from that one day. And I was like, whoa, if I could get more moments of like that and build on that and take the lessons learned and apply it. And also the thrill, I enjoy it. I like challenging myself. That would be amazing. So since then I've done, I've done some, you know, of those extreme races. I've done a lot of stand-up paddleboard, ultra paddleboard races. I started a company called 29029 where we rent a mountain, you hike up the mountain, you take the gondola down and you repeat until you climb the equivalent of Mount Everest. And I just feel like there's a lot of growth that can happen from there. So that's become a part of my life. Looking, awesome. looking for those kind of challenges. Love it. Yeah, I love that. But I'm um, def- yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's like I have. I mean, I started at two miles. I'm not anything special at all. I just uh, put the time in and and changed what I believed that I thought I could do, what I thought yeah. my limits were, and that that's really the only fundamental shift between the guy that can run two miles and the guy that can run a hundred. My body's exactly the same. I'm not very strong. Same legs I ran two miles on. The only thing that changed was I was like, I saw someone do it and I was like, man, if they can do it, why can't I do it? Yeah. yeah. And the same applies for every, everything in entrepreneurship, everything in business, the same for, thing. for all the real estate investors. You know, like that's why we do the show is to mm-hmm. model and to motivate and give people examples of what other people just like them are doing. Uh, so I, I love it. I think it's awesome. Hey, hey, Jesse, what do you listen to when you run or do you listen to nothing? I know, you, uh, I know that the CL mentioned in, uh, in the book that he doesn't listen to anything, but what about you? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. That's, my, that's my time. Part of my three-hour rule, that's my time to think. And I don't want to be yeah. distracted by, uh, by other stuff. I walk a lot, too. And when I walk, I listen to podcasts, interviews, motivational, inspirational lessons. I like to learn. That's part of it, my efficiencies yeah. built in the process. Kill two birds with one stone. But when I run... I feel like I just want to get this thing over with. So I don't want to listen to anything. I just want to think about like really focus on my pace and time. And I'm very mathematical in my approach to that. So nice, I'm, fo- nice. I'm focused on that. I've been working, awesome. trying to build up, build up. And I'm up to like, I think I did a 10 mile, the 10 miles. That was the most I've ever done. And I like wanted to die afterwards. But, uh, but uh, you know, I listen to music and I'm wondering maybe there's a, maybe there's a better way. Maybe I'll try it without running. No, I mean, music. some people, some people love it. But for me, it's just, I prefer to listen to the, that's my time outside. I want to. I want to hear what's going on. That makes sense. Hey, by the way, you mentioned podcasts. Do you? You don't have a podcast right now, do you? Or do you? No. Yeah, you should do it. You're good at this. You should so, do it. <laughs> all right. So I want to. I want to transition here. Normally, we have a segment of the show called the Deal Deep Dive, and we have another one called the uh, Fire Round. We're not going to do either of those today. But last thing before we get to over the famous four, uh, I'm curious. I actually want to ask both Josh and you this one, and this has nothing to do. This probably won't benefit our audience, but I just like this question because sometimes there are. Well, I'll just ask it. What do you love most about your wife? I want to know each of you guys. Like, what do you what do you love about your wife? And the reason I ask that again is because I think sometimes I don't know our wives maybe get like I don't know what the word is. Like, we we talk about ourselves and our families a lot of times, but like I want to know how much does your wife help you on that journey? Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> Man, I, I, I not, not a lot of people like me. I'm pretty abrasive. Brandon, that's, you that's can true. attest for this. That's true. You have a couple people. There's a few people. No, I mean, I, look, look, I, I've, I've got some close friends, but at the end of the day, it's hard to find really, truly deep connections in your life. Maybe you've got five or 10 
across your entire lifetime. My wife is one of them. She supports me. She stands up for me. She stands up to me, doesn't put up with my bullshit, pushes me, challenges me to be better. And for me, you know, I've lived my life in a way where I'm always striving to be better. I'm always striving, you know, and which is again, why I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation with Jesse. You know, I'm always trying to do bigger and better things for myself. I want to leave my mark. You know, it's not like I want to be known for something either. I just, I want to leave my mark and, and do good by the world. And, and she supports me in that. I mean, when I started Bigger Pockets, I had a buddy who would call me and just say, Hey, Josh, I, I was walking down the street in New York. I found a penny. Let me mail it to you. You broke motherfucker. And I'm like, these are my friends. Like, that's cool. It's all good. But my wife like would never give me that, you know, she's, she's supportive and loving and, and you need that, right? You need people to rib you, but you also need people to support you. And she's always been, so I, I love that. And she just, you know, she's always there right? and she's got my back. So, th- so that's it. I mean, she's also beautiful and amazing and a <laughs> phenomenal mother, but you know, beyond that, that that's really it. Nice. I mean, just, I could go on and on. I mean, I just, uh, my wife checks all the boxes, you know, supportive, great mom, great daughter, great, great everything, funny, fun to be around. So she's just, uh, she's, and she's an, she's just a really amazing human. That's cool. You know, you mentioned there was a quote in one of the, in the, I think it was uh, living with the seal. It might've been living with the monks where you said, I think your wife said it, but I love the quote. It was like, money is fun to, what is it? Money is fun to make, fun to spend and fun to give away. Yeah, I, I love that quote. So I just wanted to throw that. I knew I wouldn't get a find a place to fit it in today's interview, but I'm like, I'm gonna throw that out there because it's so good. She's good at all three. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's very cool. cool. Hey, so okay, let's let's shift gears over the last segment of the show because I know we got to get you out of here, and uh, you know, there's a surf surfing wave out there. I got to go find. So number, <laughs> we're we're gonna head over to the next segment of the show called the Famous Four. All right, this is the segment of the show where we ask the same or every guest the same questions every week. Uh, we altered it just slightly for you since we're not doing a real estate related show today. So question number one is, do you have a favorite book recommendation in like the personal development or fitness uh, world? Not necessarily business, that'll come in a second, but like the, the lifestyle, fitness, that kind of uh, world. Any book recommendations? Fit for, Li- Fit for Life by Harvey Diamond and Marilyn Diamond. Fit for Life, A New Beginning by Harvey Diamond. Yes. That's the all fruit right. book. That's the one where you eat fruit all day, right? Until breakfast, until all lunch. Noon. It's more than that, though. Yes, but there's more than that. It's a great book, and it, that's been a life changer for me. Awesome. Probably the cool. sing, single biggest life changer for me. Cool. Awesome. What about business book? Favorite business book? I'm just going to sound crazy. I'm scared to even go on record. I haven't read a lot of business books. I Fair enough. Have, I really haven't. I don't, uh, I don't think I've ever read any business books, <laughs> to be honest with you. Nice. So it's – I mean it's it, – for you, it, it really is this – What's you know, like the biggest business book? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The E-Myth. Those are one thing. One thing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm obsessed with one right now called Four Disciplines of Execution. Completely obsessed. I read it like four times in a month. So anyway, I'll say I read. I read a book when I was uh, <laughs> in college. I think I was in college. Maybe I, no, I just got out of college called The Wealthy Barber, which kind of uh, heard of that. Yeah, which was like a third. It's like a three-year-old approach to financial planning and how to kind of save money and allocate money for savings, spending, and charity. And that that helped me a little because I never took really any kind of financial courses in college or business courses. But yeah. All right. 
That's, yeah. that's a good recommendation. I, I, yeah. We'll take yeah. it. We'll take it. The wealthy. I'm going send, to send you some books, though. <laughs> OK. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, all right. What about hobbies apart from ultra marathons? Any any, uh, any other hobbies? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Let's see. I like. Well, obviously, I like to run. I like to I like to write. I'm doing a documentary right now. I love taking my friends and family away. That's a big thing. I think part of the success is one of the big benefits of being, you know, having any kind of success is being able to treat people around you. So that's like a hobby. I love it. Love music. I like to ski. I like being nice. anything out, anything outdoors. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Favorite right. ski area. Sorry, I got to ask. They I have just, skiing on the East Coast? What's that? <laughs> there's, 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 there's crummy there? skiing yeah. on the East Coast. <laughs> I like Stratton. I like Stratton on the East Coast. Okay. I like uh, Park City and yeah. Right on. All right. All right. Last question from me of the day. I think Josh has one more, but what do you believe sets apart successful entrepreneurs from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I know it's been the whole theme of today's show, but if you had to kind of sum up what separates the successful ones from those who don't. Probably the last 5%. I think most people, I think most entrepreneurs are willing to do the standard 95% that will get you to a certain point. But that last 5% when the shit's thrown in your face and everyone's against you and everybody where, where that's the weed out phase where everybody quits, those that keep going usually find the gold. Mm. And I think uh, most people are willing to do the first 95%, but I think very few are willing to do the last 5%. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right, man, before we get out of here, tell us how people can find out more about you. How can they connect if they need to? What, what, tell them about your books. Tell them what you want to tell Hold them. Hold on. You guys asked me about my wife, my hobbies, business books, and now you finally give me a softball? You give me an easy <laughs> one to knock out of the park? Come on. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm, at my, I'm on Instagram, at Jesse Itzler, my name, J-E-S-S-E-I-T-Z-L-E-R. And my website is jesseitzler.com. I'm pretty, pretty simple. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, this has been a privilege. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for the time. Keep rocking it, man. Appreciate it, guys, man. And ten, listen, 10 miles becomes 20, 20 becomes 50 and 50. Then you see what, you know, you take it, see how far you want to take it from there. Stay the course. All right. Thanks, dude. Oh, man, that was, that was like chalk filled with like life tips. Yeah, Life that tips. was really good. Yeah, yeah. If you like, if you're looking for a chance to just think and learn about life, th that was it. That was it. Now, now you've got to go spend an hour, spend two hours, spend five hours in silence yeah. and just kind of ponder what we talked about because I think these are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of conversations that really change your brain. But you have to actually take the time to think about it. You know, don't don't jump on your phone. Don't go jump on your whatever your devices and and start doing stuff think take that time what do you think i would i would love to think but here's the funny thing right after we get done with this call i've got a webinar to go host over on bigger pockets there are big 13 13,000 people yeah or 13,000 people register for the webinar the biggest webinar we've ever done in bp was 8,000 registrants 13 thousand people registered who want to learn about investing in real estate. So uh, if you're listening to this in the future, it means that webinar is over, obviously, but we do them every week. 
biggerpockets.com slash webinar. Now, one thing before we get out of here, in the quick tip in the beginning of the show, we talked about sharing this episode with somebody who you think would benefit. I want to just say that again, share it with someone you think would benefit. And then do me a favor, shoot me or Josh a message uh, over on Twitter at J.R. Dorkin, right? It's at J.R. Dorkin? It's at J.R. Dorkin or my Insta is at J.R. Dorkin also. Yeah, okay. So either Instagram or or Twitter, do me a favor and let us know if you did so we can give give you a virtual high five. And, you know, follow follow Josh too. Josh is a good dude. He's a, the best entrepreneur I've ever known. So that's legit oh, wow. truth right there. I'm, so I'm, I'm, tears, tears are yeah, falling you know, down my face. You, you've done some pretty amazing things. So well, you're, uh, you're, you're a pretty okay guy too, man. And and I'm I'm excited for our upcoming beard venture. This is <laughs> this is very exciting. <laughs> the the beardy Brandon beard oil from Bigger Pockets. The beardy Brandon beard oil from Bigger Pockets. <laughs> Little alliteration. Yeah, there we go. The B B B B B B. All right, y'all. Thank you for hey guys, coming today. Thanks for listening. There yeah. you go. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see I'm you again. I'm the next host, week. Josh Dorkin. Sign it up. Are you not going to cut me off? No, I'm going to let you do it. It's not often you come back here. You're so nice. You got to do what David Green does. David's thing that he ends every podcast is for biggerpockets.com. Oh, no, for for Brandon. And then he makes up a nickname every time for me, a brand new nickname every time. So today That's for Brandon, B, 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 B. I don't need anything. I'm Fine. good. And end it the way you want to end it. You hey, know, Brandon. This is your show. Yes. Thanks, man. Thanks, Josh. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.